Welcome to the Out of the Bubble podcast. My name's Rachel Carew. Join me as I share a weekly dose of midlife inspiration, where you get to hear from amazing women who are embracing life and leaving a trail of inspiration along the way. Breaking down the midlife stereotypical barriers and proving it's never too late to find new passion and purpose. And to step out of your bubble. So what's stopping you? So welcome back to a new episode of Out of the Bubble Podcast. And yes, I missed an episode. Did you miss me? Well, I don't normally miss an episode. I'm normally very punctual and make sure that I'm always consistent. But I took a couple of weeks off. I went on holiday to Bali in Singapore and... Yeah, time just flew by and I missed a week, but I had a fabulous holiday, so apologies for that. But it's good to be back, back to it, and with another fabulously inspiring woman to interview today. Dawn Maria France. I don't know where to start. This lady's got so many strings to her bows, and she's got such an established career in journalism and media. But she really is a force to be reckoned with. Dawn Maria is an award-winning journalist. She's the editor-in-chief of Yorkshire Women's Life. She's now a children's author and she's really passionate about children's rights, women's rights, equality and diversity. And she has been pushing those boundaries for a young age, from a young age. As a black 16-year-old woman, she was told by one of her tutors after showing interest in media and journalism and knowing that's the career that she wanted to pursue, that you know, people like her don't get those kind of jobs. I can't imagine being told that and I can only imagine that it drove her even more to prove everybody wrong and to push those boundaries and I'm really looking forward to talking to her about that today and what's been driving her, what's been her driving force to to keep working and doing the work that she does and really lifting other women up along the way so we're going to have a great conversation so whatever you're doing relax and enjoy. So welcome Dawn Maria. I feel like this conversation has been a long time coming and I'm so glad that we finally get to meet. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me, Rachel. I really appreciate that. No, it's lovely. You know, you've got such an interesting career to share and um, I love the work that you're doing. So I know we're going to have a really interesting conversation and you've done so many different things. It was hard to know where to start. (laughs) But I guess let's start with the same question I ask all my guests. How would you describe yourself today with three words and why? Um, I'd say that I was funny, um, kind and intellectual. Funny because whenever my loved ones or friends feel sad, I find a way of um, making them smile, whether that is um, making fun of myself or anything just to get them smiling and happy again. Um, I'd also say that I'm kind because I've been involved with quite a lot of um, community work particularly with people suffering from domestic abusive situations. So I've used my superpower as a writer to bring people together in a safe space so they can write about their experience, make friends and realise they're not alone. Um, I'd say that I was also intellectual because I'm always seen with a book and sometimes a comic, but that's between us. (laughs) (laughs) I know that's where it all started. (laughs) Absolutely, that's so true. <laughs> Brilliant. I mean, you are an award-winning journalist. You've done youth. You've been a youth worker. You've done lots of different things. But how do you describe yourself to people? Is it first and foremost journalist? Well, sometimes I struggled with that when I was younger because I thought I'm a writer who's trained as a journalist, but fundamentally I'm a writer because I'm 
telling people stories and I'm giving people space to talk about their own personal journeys and I'm just publishing that. So I'm being that sounding board. But I'm now comfortable to say, yes, I am a journalist and writer because um, writing is fundamentally something that I did first before I went and trained in journalism and admin and so forth. So, yes, I'd, I'd, I'd introduce myself as a journalist stroke writer. And that's been something that you've been passionate about for, for since you were young, since you were a young girl at school. And I'm right in thinking that you were basically warned off from even thinking about it at school by tutors, saying that, you know, as a woman of colour, as a black woman, you wouldn't get a position in, in media and, and television. Yes, they went a step further. Um, I was um, young. I was outside near the tennis courts at the specific school in question. Um, and one of the teachers said, what do you want to do? And I was always passionate about writing. And I said, I'd love to do writing and broadcasting. So that, that teacher then called several teachers. So now they're surrounding me. I'm this young child in the middle with these adults around me. Um, and the first teacher was, say what you said to me, Dawn Maria. And I said, Miss, I'd like to be a writer and broadcaster. And she looked, she looked me up and down and said, they don't let people like you. You've got the wrong colour skin, the wrong colour eyes. Um, you're too Yorkshire. Your accent's all over the place because it's Caribbean, Asian, Yorkshire. Um, the likes of you will never get on the BBC. And then some random white girl who was quite beautiful, blonde, slim, just walked past innocently and pointed to her and said, that's what a journalist and writer looks like, not you. And they were all giggling and, and um, smiling at me and pointing at me. And I'm in the middle of what felt like being bullied, to be quite frank with you. I'm wanting to cry at this point, but I'm thinking I'm not going to cry in front of you. And in my teenage youth, I thought to myself, I'll show you. I'm not going to cry in front of you, although I did want to cry. I really wanted yeah, to just sure. sit on the floor and just sob because I felt so defeated and just so manipulated because these are adults I'm just a child at this point but I can't I don't know where I got the strength from but I didn't cry I pushed back the tears I remember feeling like the tears were coming forward and I remember pushing it back so I don't know where I got the strength from and I remember just my young self looking at these individuals thinking I'll show you one of these days I will be on tv and I also remember thinking, I'm not going to change the colour of my eyes because I like my big brown eyes. Thank you very much. And why should I change who I am and what I look like to please someone else? I'm happy being me and I don't want to fit into any kind of stereotype box, change what I look like to appease someone else. I just want to be my authentic self. And I remember thinking, yes, I will stay exactly as I am and I will go on and achieve those things. And fortunately, I did. I mean, it makes me so angry to hear that story on your behalf. But equally, I'm so pleased that you found that strength to, to think that and to carry that forward, because that really could have crushed you. Another person, it could have absolutely crushed, couldn't it? And, and put deflated somebody completely. How much kind of... How many role models did you have? How many mentors did you have as you were growing up then, as you started to try and work towards journalism? I think for me, um, my great uncle in the Caribbean, he was a politician, but he was a journalist as well. And he started um, just as um, the office boy, it sounds like, and worked his way up, got qualified and then became the editor 
So I think my mum saw something in me. So when I was younger, she took me back to the Caribbean to see this individual to say, look, this is someone who looks like you. He's in our family. He's a journalist. Um, he started from the bottom. He's gone up to get knighted. He's now a member of parliament and he's an editor. So you can aspire to this. And this person looks exactly like you, you know, the person of colour. So he inspired me. And my mum inspired me as well in so many ways. She always got magazines that reflected women of colour in different jobs. So there were women of colour who were CEOs, MDs and so on. And she got these American magazines to show me women who looked like me, who were doing different things, who were going to university. And it, I didn't realise, but now thinking about it, it did inspire me because I saw people who looked like me doing really good things. And my mum used to have dinner parties and it was unheard of in our neighbourhood to have dinner parties. It wasn't the kind of thing you did on a council estate <laughs> in Yorkshire. But she had these dinner parties with all these women who were like doctors and lecturers and, and they were all of different colours. And they'd sit round the table eating Caribbean food and it was great to see it. And I loved that. I loved being amongst these women that were determined, that were savvy who were from different backgrounds. There were Jewish women, Italian women, black women, um, Caribbean, African, and they were all sitting around the table in our little flat in Yorkshire. And it was inspiring to see that. So my mum was a fantastic role model. And my mum, she's an award-winning artist. And at the time, people were saying to my dad, you know, you really should um, sort of pull her in, you know, how can you have your wife being an award-winning artist? You know, she should be more at home sort of doing the dishes and whatnot. It was a very kind of sexist background in some respect. But my dad was, well, if that's what she wants to do, I support her 100%. But it was unheard of in that kind of community at that point in time to have your wife um, being an artist, lecturing and so on. And my dad and my mum worked really well together and he really inspired her and it was good to see that. So I think my dad in that way, he, he, he took a lot of criticism from other men, Caribbean men, for having a wife that was going out and lecturing in art. But he supported her wholeheartedly and my mum went to college and it was unheard of in some respects, for her to do that, apart from with her own intellectual friends who were largely outside of the community, the ones that she had the dinner party for. They came from different parts of Yorkshire, so they weren't fundamentally part of our working-class Caribbean community as such. So it was good to see that, and it was good to see my mum's determination, and it was good to see my uncle as a journalist and a politician so they were my really sort of mentors, really. And I could look up to people who looked like me and think, yeah, they've done it. And it wasn't easy and it was hard, but they've made their own journey. So that means I can make my own journey too. And how easy was your journey into journalism? Did you have a very clear idea of what kind of journalism you wanted to get into? Or were you really kind of open going into it thinking, what can I do? I found it extremely hard, to be honest, being working class from the north with this Yorkshire Caribbean Asian accent and not being part of Cambridge or Oxford and not being part of the old boys network. It was increasingly difficult to kind of get your foot in the door. But I was lucky in some respects because at 16, there was a competition in one of the London newspapers, the Caribbean Times, which was a national newspaper. 
and I entered the competition to write a comic strip. And it was from there that the editor saw something in me and then he mentored me. So then he made me the Northern journalist. But one thing he did say was um, to go get qualified, go to um, a university where it was accredited to the NUJ, the National Union of Journalists. He said, you're a fantastic writer, but um, you need to also get the paperwork behind you as well. So he was one of my mentors. And then I had a brilliant mentor in Yorkshire as well. And he was from the Old Boys Network. He was a grammar school kind of guy. But he saw me with my little briefcase at 16 and my um, plastic bag with my sandwiches because I went on work experience to that newspaper. And my poor mum, we thought that journalist needed a briefcase, so she got a briefcase. She saved up to get this briefcase for me. We thought that's what you needed to do. I hope you still got that briefcase, Dawn. Yeah, still got it. So there was me at 16 on work experience in this newspaper office with my briefcase in one hand and a plastic bag with sandwiches in the next in front of this great editor. And he said, yep, she's got what it takes. And he gave me some really tough assignments to do. I think he was just testing me. Yeah. And you've got to remember back when I started, there was no internet, there was no mobile phones. Mm. So I used to have to go to a phone box if it worked and ring back the story into the newspaper office. And um, my favourite day was when the paper went to press and it was where the actual paper were on the press for the, for the press morning. And I used to stand in front of the press watching the paper on the press and breathing in the ink and I loved it. And I found out, um, just before COVID um, in 2018, speaking to another journalist, he said that this man saw something in me and he said to them, look out for Dawn Maria's name because she's going to become a really good journalist. And not much really makes me sort of teary, but that did. It was, wow, he looked at me at 16, you know, and he thought, yes, she can become someone and then I realised that's why he was sending me on all these assignments that were really tough just to see what I was made of. And I'm grateful to him. I'll always remember him and the editor at the Caribbean Times because they were my mentors at 16, without whom I could not have gone on to do what I do. Because that's the thing, isn't it? Really it's, a, it's about someone just seeing a spark in you. And actually, yeah. it doesn't matter whether you're 16 or I talk to lots of women in midlife that have lost that spark and they don't really know what they're doing, but it just takes somebody to believe in them and to, to help push their self-confidence to send them on a very different path. So I'm guessing mentoring is a huge, huge part of all that, isn't it? Do you do mentoring now for, for the younger generation? I did do quite a lot of mentoring, um, particularly in um, working class white neighbourhoods in Yorkshire and working class black neighbourhoods. So I used to do um, writing workshops and the, the children loved it and it gave them a chance to forget their um, chaotic lives and what was going on in their own personal situation. And it gave them some chance to just be creative. Um, and they used to run um, writing workshops, playwriting as well. So they wrote their own plays and acted in it. And just to see the shyest person come into that area and that space and become who they wanted to become. And the writing was so fantastic and the confidence that people gained from it. It just, it really was wonderful to see the young people come out of their shell and enter into a space where they could be who they wanted to be and be creative. So I did do some mentoring. I'd like to do a lot more, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, obviously, COVID stopped a lot of stuff I wanted to do because yeah. I really wanted to go into schools. 
and be this person who was told could not achieve anything and show, yes, you can. But fundamentally for me, I wanted to go largely into working class spaces where there was a lot of working class children who, like me, would have been told they can't achieve certain things because the working class and they live in X postcode or whatnot. Yeah. So I wanted to really do that. But obviously, COVID took nearly two years of everyone's lives. So I wasn't able to plan that out. But it's something I wouldn't mind doing in the future going forward. Yeah, that's something that I'd really love to do, more mentoring and helping children with body confidence in schools. I'd love to do that in the future. And it's interesting because we're both from the north and I know you've seen somewhere you've put the proud Yorkshire lass, as I am. Mm. And do you, but you've, you've worked a lot in the business arena in lots of different occasions. Are you acutely aware of the still there is this kind of north-south divide or do you think it's getting less? When I first started, it was definitely was more noticeable. So I'd go down to London and I'd cover stories down there and I'd get kind of really snidey remarks like, oh, did you need the passport to leave Yorkshire? That kind of kind of passive aggressive behaviour, but certainly not anymore. I've certainly not felt that for quite a long time. And people seem to respect that. Yes, she's won awards. Yes, she's um, a veteran at this. And, you know, they've seen what I've done. So I've got more respect in that space. And it's nice sometimes to go on a national programme and talk about what's happening in the North. For example, the cost of living. It's good to have a voice in that forum and say, this is what's happening in Yorkshire. Because normally when that conversation happens, there is no one from Yorkshire to say, well, yes, it's happening here and this is what needs to be done. So it's nice to have that voice. So it's not as bad as it was when I started and it has improved over the years, I'm happy to say. And obviously, journalism isn't just about writing, which you are extremely good at. And you've got 30, 30 odd career, you know, years in this career. But also you have become somebody, a spokesperson. So you are really seen on television. You get you get asked to be a panel guest. How comfortable and how easy was it for you to show up as yourself and not just kind of hide behind the paper, I suppose? Um, for me, I've always been my authentic self. I know when I first went on to um, mainstream media and also just television in general, people were saying that I needed to not have my hair in plaits, maybe have my hair straightened, try and make myself look more European. This was actually told to me. I know it yeah. sounds astonishing, doesn't it? Yeah. it? You cannot believe that was the conversation. And yeah. it was really weird because this was told to me by other women. I'm sorry to report. And I remember one woman was saying that I should make my nose look more sort of straighter by using makeup. That was actually said to me. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, no, I'm going to go on as I am with my hair in plaits because this is who I am. Um, this is my culture. This is, the, this is my authentic self. I'm not going to actually change the way I talk. I'm going to go on with my Yorkshire accent and be me. And I'm glad that I've done that because I don't want to be anybody other than my authentic self. And I'm not trying to pander to anyone's perception of what I should do and what I should look like. If they're not comfortable with me, that's a matter for them. But I'm very much comfortable with me, what I look like and what I sound like. I'm not changing my accent. I'm not going to make myself look how I'm supposed to look, apparently. And I will continue to be me and to represent myself in a dignified way, the way I've always done. And I will always be cheering for Yorkshire as well, regardless yeah. of what I'm doing. Absolutely. Well said, Dawn. And it's, 
It's incredible, isn't it, that so often it is other women that are so judgmental and opinionated about another woman's appearance. And I, I, and I still can't get my head around that. I find it really difficult because I am all about women supporting women and we should be raising each other up because life's hard enough for women as it is to, to then have each other kind of pitted against each other. Where do you think that comes from? I think it might be because of society. Society shows that um, women who look a certain way are the women that get the headlines. I read an interesting article um, with Beyonce's dad, and he said if Beyonce wasn't light-skinned, she wouldn't have been as successful. And that was her own dad who said that. And so there's always been this kind of conversation about um, lightening your skin, trying to fit in, trying to get a straight nose, trying to, to look a certain way, to have what is an acceptable look. And I've always read, reigned against it. I wrote an article on colorism, um, which went down really well. And when it actually came from slavery, actually, where um, the slave owner was pitting black people against black people. And he noticed that some black people were lighter and some were darker. And he pitted men against women and he pitted dark-skinned slaves against light-skinned slaves. And this kind of nonsense just continued. I mean, I was surprised how much um, lightning creams are still out there in, our, in my own community, my old community. You go to the shop and it's full of creams. And there's one that's even called Fade Off, which means that you're fading off your dark skin to look lighter. It, and then the thing is, you can get skin cancer from bleaching your skin yeah. and all this kind of carry on. And I've always rallied against that perception of what beauty is. I've always thought you should be your own queen. You should be your own cheerleader for who you are because you're unique. And when you How look can we change that, though? How can we? It seems like, you know, you'd like to think that we've come a long way, but actually, in fact, we haven't really. We've still got a long way to go. What changes really would you like to see? Um, I would like to see the skin creams taken off the shelf. Yes. Be a good one for me. Yeah. Um, I would like to see more people, maybe in the media that are older, older women, women from various backgrounds of different skin tones, just women, so that people could look at these women and go, yeah, she looks like me and so on. And I think that would be great. I'd like to see more women going into schools, like doing what you do celebrating yourself celebrating the fact you've got silver hair and me celebrating the fact that I look how I look and going into schools at like the um, primary schools and telling our story so children see you and realize it's okay to be you and it's okay to look the way you look and no you don't need to lighten your skin or you don't need to to have this perceived idea I mean I did an article ages ago about filters that people use on social media. That is so mentally damaging to a young person who's on social media thinking they need to use filters to make themselves look a different way. That's a mental health crisis yeah. right there. Yeah, I mean, we need to be, we need to come to a place where we accept we're all different. We're all queens. We're all beautiful. We've got so many different journeys. We've got so much in common and we need to celebrate that. But I'd like to see that more in schools really people going in because I remember when I was really young this woman came into our school just to read the story and it had an impact on me and it was like oh that woman's written a book maybe I can and I remember when my mum went into schools to lecture and people were like 
you're a real artist, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And she's since met people that she lectured to who said, I saw you come to our school. Then I went to art college because I saw you. So it's those little steps. We need to be more bold. We need to work with education and we need to have schools work with us. There's yeah. so much talent. There's so many women. There's so many stories. And we need those stories in schools. And we also need those people in the media as well. We need it's to see creating that them. ripple effect, isn't it? It's creating it's, that ripple effect of sharing absolutely. all these stories. And, you know, talking of schools, I know that you're really passionate about children's rights as well and, and really empowering children. Is that, where, where was the inspiration for the, the children's book? Tell me about that. So um, when I was younger, I was a youth worker, but I always worked in some of the poorest areas in Yorkshire. So I largely worked with working class, um, poor white children and working class black and brown children. So I, I was always one to try and build the children up. And so I went looking for books to actually show these children their own stories. And the only books that I could find was the little boy was the main character, followed by a cat or a dog and then a little girl. And there were certainly no northern stories with little girls who knew their own mind. So that set the seed in my mind for that kind of narrative, really. And I thought, why can't we have a little girl who's northern, from Yorkshire, who's strong, who's got her own mind, makes mistakes like everyone else, but has the ability to listen and learn. And I went about developing that story. It took many years of researching it. I worked with parents, groups, children, and so on, just to get the feel of the story and to run the narrative through the children, their parents, and parents' organisations. So the book, as it's presented, had a lot of inputs from parents and children and even the illustrations I took them back to the parents groups got the children's input so I knew that once the book was put together it had so much um, experience from the children and the parents themselves and it had so much of their input that I knew that I was on to a winner and the feedback I've had from overseas has been great because she's northern and she She's confident and she doesn't, you know, she doesn't suffer fools. <laughs> and she's very much Yorkshire. And then I've, I've dropped little hints in there as well. I've got her making Yorkshire puddings and got her going to Harrogate. So I've used a lot of Yorkshire phraseology and, and real places within this fictitious character, really. And also I'm with pretty, a bit of a nod, nod to Yorkshire humour, which I think is yeah, unique. I like that. Yeah, it's a not to northern humour, but fundamentally it's about a little girl from Yorkshire who knows her own mind who's the main character and it's about her story and she's got a, a cat called Philip so it's about their relationship so when she's been a bit naughty the cat is able to sort of rein her in but it's their relationship and it's got humour in it as well and it's gone down really well with a lot of children and the best story that I heard was one of the parents said that their little child was trying to climb up onto the chair to reach the, um, the, the top shelf. And when they said to the, the child, why are you going on the chair to get to the shelf? The child said, I want that book. I want you to read me that book. And you know, it just makes your heart kind of, wow, the little child did that, <laughs> you know, yeah. to read my book. That's just wonderful. Yeah. And then I heard about um, some children in America. The parents said they were practicing the reading with the book. And you just go, 
this little girl who's from North York, from North Yorkshire, who's written a book, and this is the, the effect. So it's a gentle kind of dig at the um, the teachers who said it couldn't be done. Exactly. So every success is kind of like a dig at the people who said, no, it couldn't be done. So you kind of have like happy smiles because you know that you did it anyway. Yeah. Regardless of the people that said it couldn't be done, you found your own journey and you made it happen. And I'm pleased that I was able to do that. So am I. And uh, I'm so pleased that you didn't listen to them. And how easy was it to get the book published, though? Because, you know, you hear lots of stories of how difficult it is for particularly older women, actually, to get noticed by the literary agents. How difficult was that? It was extremely difficult, absolutely difficult. But I've said to myself, regardless to what, if it was good enough for Lewis Carroll, who did Alice in Wonderland and who self-published, then I'll do it. So, yes, I did go through the traditional route. And I was told it's a fantastic story. The illustrations are amazing. But because you've not been on a reality program, we're not able to push it. And that happened a lot because I wasn't going to compromise my writing and um, go on a reality program and so forth to make a fool of myself. Um, they weren't going to touch me. And I kind of, I'm quite a determined, gutsy northerner, aren't I? I well, if you don't want to do it, I'll do it anyway. Yeah. And so I did. I backed up my own um, book and I, I, I made it work for myself. And it went on to, and it's still selling really well. And the reviews around the globe have been amazing. So it's their loss. Yeah. If they can't look at a fantastic story and think, you know what, let's invest in this story. Because every one of them said it was a great story. Yeah not one of the agents had any criticism about it. They thought it was a good concept because she's Northern, because she's strong, because her superpower is her own confidence. And, you know, and she's obviously got the cat as um, her conscience, if you like. And they loved it, but they didn't want to take up the um, idea, but it's their loss. They, if they're so short-sighted, I mean, why should I have to go on a reality programme? It's so frustrating when you've got 30 years of journalism experience and writing that somebody that's so clearly so talented that they still, you know, what more do you will have to do? You know, why yeah. does it have to be? I suppose that's the negative thing, isn't it, of social media and what's happened with social media and influencing, I guess. That's absolutely true, and that's what I thought. I thought, well, I've won all these awards, mm. I've done all this television, how is it? What more do I need to do? I asked myself that exact question. What more do I need to do? And apparently I needed to go on a reality program to destroy the 30 years that I'd put in, you know, because obviously reality programs are scheduled in a certain way to make you look a certain way. Yeah. And, you know, you, you just don't know how it's going to, who's editing what. So it wasn't for me. I'm glad that I haven't actually put myself through that. I want to continue to write um, about issues and be the voice for the voiceless and write about the kind of issues that other people are not able to write about and bring it to people's attention. And I want to continue that, not make a fool of myself on a reality programme just to get a book deal. And I would never continue to do that. I know my own strength and my superpower is being a mature woman, having my life experience and being a good writer. And that's how I'm going to continue. Thank you. I love your, I love, you've got such a sense of who you are. You've got such a strong sense of who you are. And I think some women lose that in midlife. Lots of women I talk to are struggling and feeling a bit lost. 
what advice would you give to somebody, to a woman that, that is feeling a bit lost and doesn't know how to project their true self and, and show their authenticity? How would you even start with that? Well, I think the first thing to do in that situation is to celebrate that you've made it this far. Look at what you've achieved. Look at the different ages when you were 20, what you were like in 13. Look at how you've grown, what you've achieved as you've gone on and what you're going to achieve as you continue down this journey. For example, I remember in my 20s how shy I was. I was the person who was the quiet um, person who used to like writing, still do. But I was always the person behind the really um, strong woman and so on. But I've come into my own. I'm celebrating being older. The confidence that I've found has just been, it's just been so empowering. For example, the other day, um, I, it was for charity and I was able to go into a, be a passenger in a high speed car. And I just went, yes, I'll do that. My 20 year old self would never have done that. I'd have been too scared and whatnot, I'd never. But I just went in and did it. And just the confidence that you get from being you and being an older person. And also to, to people that are struggling, there's so much um, resources on the, on the internet from women, by women, who tell you about the menopause, the symptoms. And there's so many different shops as well that sell things that will help you with your your night sweats and your hot flushes. You're not alone. There's a huge community of us and we're here to help each other. And you can just talk to people online who are going through exactly the same thing. You're not alone and you're beautiful. Don't let anyone tell you you're not. You know, you've got those wrinkles and lines, but you know, those are happy lines, happy wrinkles. These are your superpower. These are things that make you who you are. Look in the mirror, feel happy that you've made it Despite the challenges, despite what's happened, you've made it. You're important and you're beautiful. Yes, I'm going to have that on repeat, Dawn. That should be a morning mantra. Love that. Thank you. <laughs> what are you most proud of then so far? What achievement are you most proud of? Um, I think the achievement that I'm most proud of is that I made it. I was the little girl in the council flat in Yorkshire with my Windrush parents looking at the TV thinking, yes, I want to do that. And I think I'm proud that despite the obstacles, despite being told I had the wrong colour skin, colour eyes, um, the wrong neighbourhood, and despite not being from Oxbridge or Cambridge and not having the old boys network, I made it. I'm proud that I made it. This girl from Yorkshire made it. And I'm proud of that. And have you got any stories that you that kind of got away from you that you really wish you'd been able to report on that you didn't or a story that you really would love to cover that you haven't come up yet um no I've not had that experience to be honest because I'm I've been really lucky that I've covered the kind of stories that I wanted to cover for example I wrote about um funeral poverty and the fact that a lot of people were going online on social media to raise money to bury their family and people that were on benefits were taking out loans to bury their loved ones. So that was a story that I really, really wanted to do. And I was able to do it. So I was really glad about that and raise awareness that funeral poverty is a thing. And also there was an article that I wanted to do where um, the Department of Work and Pensions 
the, um, the Prime Minister at the time, Boris Johnson, said that their diversity training wasn't fit for purpose. And basically it was gaslighting the people who were in the civil service. They were doing all these courses, but they weren't really following it. The Prime Minister had said it. And I really wanted to write about diversity courses and, you know, are you really looking at utilising those courses or is it just gaslighting? So I wanted to write that. And I also wanted to write about mental health with women and also how we women, because um, I came across some women who were suffering with mental health, but because they wanted promotion, they didn't talk about it. So when they were in bed struggling, they'd just phone in and say, you know, I just feel a little bit under the weather because they thought if they said they were struggling with their mental health, that it, it would be seen as they couldn't climb up the corporate ladder, as it were, and even though men could say, some men, that they had mental health, the women didn't speak about it because they saw it as weakness. So I really wanted to write that. So I was glad that I did that. So I'm really glad with the body of articles that I've written because it makes people think and it makes people have that conversation and go forward with that narrative about mental health, funeral poverty and the civil service um, diversity training not being fit for purpose I like to write articles that make people think yeah. I'm really good at crafting an article that makes people think oh maybe you know that is good and and maybe we should think about that yeah. so I don't think I've missed out on the stories that I wanted to write because I think the stories that I wanted to write I put myself in a position to write about it and how do you see the change over the years in terms of representation, do you do you see more black women, more brown women in, in media and journalism? Do you see that it's that it's 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 equal now and things have changed, or have we still got a long way to go? It has changed because I was um, in the studio. I was at Talk TV recently, and I did see um, black and brown people in the studio. And there was a point where you never saw that; you just didn't see that. It was really weird because when I went into um, another TV studio, which I won't mention, um, the only black and brown people were the cleaners and the security. And I was the only person of colour who was actually in that particular newsroom space. But things have changed. I've seen more um, black and brown people in, um, in studios where I never saw any before. But I'll tell you what I'm not seeing. I'm not seeing working class men. I have looked for working class men and working class women and I'm not seeing that. And I think that's that's a resource and an opportunity missed in my humble opinion. I think you need to have a representation of working class men and women who can give their own stories, tell their own truth, tell their own experience. They don't want someone from Oxbridge talking on their behalf. They're quite capable of talking about their own situation and their own life. And I'd like to see that. And I'll tell you what else I'd like to see. More older women. I'm just going to say that. Yeah, it's like with the last taboo. Yeah, I'm tired of seeing older men, about 110. I exaggerate, obviously. With younger women yeah. on the news as anchors. How is it the men are okay to have silver hair yeah. and, the young, and the woman's getting younger and younger and younger? And you think, well, where are all these women yeah. that can be sitting next to you, you reading the news, for example. We just seem to be invisible all the time. And I just it just saddens me, really, to see that. So I'd like to see older women, more of us, because we've got a lot to say. We've, we've had a, a, a life that we've lived. 
and we need to be more visible and we need our voices heard and we need to not be invisible. We need to be right there on various programmes. Thank you very much. And I'd like to see more working class people. I'd like to hear more Northern accents as well in, in the media space. Yeah. It is improving. It's improved a lot from what I saw when I was younger. But I'm not hearing many sort of voices from the north, really. Um, and I'm, and that needs to change. And we need to see more women as well. And That's not just for International Women's Day. Thank you very much. Yeah, we need exactly. To, yeah, we need to see them box. all the time. We need to see them all the time. You know, so that if we see women who look like us all the time, then it becomes the norm. Yes. Not just reel out women for international women's day and then you've disappeared because we're here to stay and we've got a lot to say and we should be heard yeah well said i couldn't say couldn't have put it better don marie so what's next for you because i'm guessing that i know you're working on your third book your third children's book but what else have you got in the pipeline well i'm going to continue um with the third book as you said i'm bringing in a new character the new character is a sick little boy and then I'm introducing him in that third book and then I want to do a series of books with him. And I'm really good at turning stereotypes upside down. So um, I'm thinking of maybe his dad's a stay-at-home dad and his mum goes to work because I like to smash stereotypes. I mean, I don't fall into a stereotype myself. And um, that's that's what I want to do, develop that story as well and probably join you on the catwalk (laughs) when I get my confidence (laughs) Yes, right. That's it. I'm, I'm adding you to this somehow. Somehow we're going to make that happen. It's interesting because this, this last week I've just done, um, I've been involved in two fashion shows this week. And one of them was a charity event I organised for Macmillan. And it was all a group of volunteer models that have never done it before. Some have done it volunteer before, but some of them were new. 19 women, 14 men. And watching their confidence from the first time they walk out on stage to the last time they do it, I grow each time they come on. They all absolutely loved it. And I do think everyone should have that opportunity to do it once in their lifetime. I might hold you to that. Yes, right, let's see what we can do. <laughs> Thank you so much, Don Maria. I've absolutely loved talking to you. Oh, and keep doing right. all the amazing work that you're doing and keep writing. How can people find out about you? Um, if they go to Yorkshire Women's Life, they can get an idea of um, the kind of content that we cover in the magazine. So that's where they could find me, really. Um, yeah, before we go, I'd love to hear a little bit about the magazine, actually, because I'll be honest, it's something that I hadn't heard about, the magazine. So what, what do you cover? What's it all about? Um, so Yorkshire Women's Life is a news-led magazine um, started in Yorkshire, and it's um, read by women around the globe. But we cover lots of issues, largely news issues, but we also cover regional issues as well and regional good news stories. For example, we've got stories in there of local Yorkshire businesses that have won awards. Um, We started an inspirational business women, which is something I really wanted to do. I wanted to celebrate the female pipeline. Mm. Um, We do hard hitting news. We're covering things like the cost of living crisis. We've done things about um, business women who were made redundant at 50 but then went on to start their own business so those kind of news stories that you probably won't get anywhere else as well as general news we've done things about domestic abuse we've done things about um, funeral poverty how it affects certain people certain women as they get older we've done things about um, women using filters on social media because they feel pressurized to do that yeah. we've done things about um, 
people feeling that they're forced to have children, even though they may not want to, but their community might be forcing them to do that. And a lot of hard-hitting issues, and particularly about what's happening to women globally. Um, some women were getting slut-shamed as well. Um, we've covered that. So we cover what's happening to our sisters globally, but we also cover what's happening to our sisters um, in Yorkshire as well, and um, businesses as well. So it's read by women across the world. But what I really like about the magazine is from the very start, we said no to filter images on the yeah. covers. So we've had women, and if they've come into the studio and they've got spots, well, that's the image that's going out. And we've let the models know yeah. that, you know, whether you've got glasses, whether you've got spots, whether you're larger, smaller, thin, tall, wear glasses, don't wear glasses, older, younger, you're going on the cover. And I think that that was great. And we continue to represent real women in the magazine and there was a lot of pressure to begin with with loads of companies saying well why don't you use filters and we said no we want women who you see in the supermarket on the tube on the buses real women that's what we want we're not going to use any filters any kind of image altering products we want the real authentic woman and I'm really glad that we've done that and in fact we've done a story about um, preparing for your pension and we've got um, three mature ladies in that story and I'm really pleased about that so the magazine is really representative of real women and it has really intelligent content mm -hmm. you know there's things there about managing your finance starting your business um things about um funeral poverty things about um surviving domestic abuse things about being empowered starting your business when you've been written off at 50 so you've been made redundant and you've done it anyway. You've gone out and you've got your own business. So celebrating business women and celebrating the female pipeline. Fabulous. Sounds amazing. I, I shall get the link. I'll share the link on, on the notes as well, Dorbree. So thank you so much. My last question that I ask all my guests, if you were to pay yourself one compliment, what would it be? Um, I think I'm smart and determined. I hadn't realised when I was younger how strong that I am. You know, being told that you can't achieve, you can't do this because, you know, you don't fit a model, you're not the right colour, you know, you don't have the right coloured eyes and whatnot. But I've done it anyway, and I didn't realise how strong a character I am because I feel like when I get knocked down, when the chair's dragged from underneath me and I'm on the floor, I'm still looking up at the stars and thinking, how do I get up to that? And I've made... I've made it a mission to get to that, even when I've been knocked down, which has happened throughout your career when you've got this accent and when you look like me. And whenever I've got knocked down, I've dusted myself off and I've taken a breath and I've gone again and I've managed to achieve whatever it was that I wanted to achieve. So, yeah, smarter than I thought I was and more determined. Well, that's probably the Yorkshire and Northern grit there, plus the Caribbean grit mixed together. <laughs> Perfect combination to me. Thank you so much, Dorbury. I absolutely love talking to you. Uh, I could have talked to you for hours. A really interesting lady that's just done some amazing things. Keep doing the work you're doing um, because, you know, you well deserve all the credits you, you've acclaimed so far. Um, but an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks for having me. Pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Rachel. Well, what a conversation with Dawn Marie. I really enjoyed listening to her share her story. And, you know, it's 
you can't imagine being told at 16, can you, that you can't do something and you're not going to be able to do something as a queer because of the colour of your skin. It, it begs belief that this still kind of is an issue and I can't quite get my head around it. And the fact that we need to hear more of these stories, we need to hear more from women like Dawn Marie that are sharing these stories to make real change. And it's why its representation is so important. It really does matter. It's something that I'm very passionate about. And just as we finished the conversation, Dawn and I were chatting behind the scenes and we were talking about how the fact that you know, you don't see black women in menopause campaigns or brown women in menopause campaigns. They feel they are still left out of the conversation on so many arenas. So never mind the fact that I talk a lot about, you know, women not being seen and represented at the, at the age of 40. But adding the fact that you, if you're a black or brown, that, that that's even less. So representation is so important. And I do really wish that we could make bigger changes and quicker changes in the industry to to make people be seen and heard and see women that they can relate to so thank you so much to Marie and yeah definitely go out and check out all the work that she's doing I'll leave the links in the notes and I will be back for one more episode of the year where I will be going solo and summing up what I've learned this year from all the fabulous women that I have been sharing and talking with and I will be back in a fortnight so in the meantime keep being fabulous thank you for listening to the out of the bubble podcast I hope it's left you feeling inspired. If it has, why not come and join a fabulous group of women in my free Step Out of the Bubble Facebook group, where you can get to connect with other women all at different stages of their own midlife journey, supporting and inspiring one another. You can also come and say hello on Instagram, at RachelGrewOne. I'd love to know how you intend, or how you are already, stepping out of your bubble in 2022. If you're loving the podcast, please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review. Your support is much appreciated. I'll be back next week with some more inspiration. But in the meantime, keep being fabulous. <laughs>